Hey legends, I'm Eliza Lee and you're listening to The Making of an Incredible MD, the podcast for aspiring medical professionals. Each week, we'll bring in a current MD student and a practicing physician to talk about an important topic in the medical field. From the effects of climate change to the influence of social media on our health, we'll uncover a maze of different perspectives and end each episode with an ethical dilemma for us all to consider. Stay tuned as we literally hear the making of these incredible MDs unfold right before our ears. So by now, you've already met Sarah, a head of GAMSAT at Hallard, an absolute star of a human being and chronic overachiever. We wanted to get Sarah back to talk about her honest journey to medical school and how she's dealt with imposter syndrome along the way. Thanks so much for coming back on. Hi, I'm Sarah. And like Eliza mentioned, I'm currently a medical student at Monash. And my whole journey of being a medical student and even getting to where I am definitely has been very close to this topic. And yeah, I feel like I can talk a lot to it. And I totally understand how it feels to feel inadequate and feel like you're not supposed to be where you are. So definitely keen to have a bit of a chat about this one. Awesome. So tell me a bit about your journey, Sarah, with imposter syndrome, sort of getting into med and where you are now, clearly three years in, and when you sort of felt that the most, and I guess like if it does physically manifest for you, how does that look? Yeah. So I think it's something that I deal with every day. And I think that most medical students you speak to will feel similar. I think that the difference is knowing how to cope with it and knowing when it's rational and when it's irrational. My journey with it probably started way back in high school. I came from a background that wasn't necessarily privileged or prestigious compared with most people who ended up in medical school with me. And that's not a bad thing. And there are a lot of parts of that that I'm grateful for. But I think that with that came a lot of self-doubt and a lot of, I guess, questions both internally from me, but also externally from teachers and friends who told me that I couldn't make it. And I think that that really wore down on my confidence and on my ability to believe in myself. I think that it's important that you have those experiences because it teaches you how to believe in yourself. But it was really hard at the time. And now that I'm in medical school, my first year was exceptionally hard with that. I think that probably the first half of my first year, the battle wasn't the content, the battle was myself. And I was really battling my mind and every day wondering if I deserved to be there, wondering if I was good enough, wondering if I was doing enough. That was really hard and it was very emotional. I think I had to learn to really curb that and learn to not let that become unhealthy and become the greater demon in my mind. And so, yeah, it initially manifested in a lot of sort of mental angst. And I wouldn't say as far as mental illness, but I was really down and I was very anxious all the time. I wasn't sleeping. I was up all night just worrying and it was really difficult to get through. But now it's something that I'm able to manage. So yes, I still feel it. I feel like every day I walk into the wards and I have these thoughts of I'm not valuable here. I don't have anything to contribute. I don't know know anything. I'm wasting people's time. I'm wasting patients' time. I'm a burden. I think those feelings are natural because 
naturally as a medical student, there's so much you don't know and there's so little that you can give in comparison to the team that's there. But starting now to recognize that you don't have to wait for a moment or for you to know something or know how to do something before you'll tick a box and suddenly be enough, you have to be enough to yourself now, then you can help curb those kinds of feelings. So I think that that's been the key for me is realizing it's not going to go away. So instead I have to manage it. Yeah. So I'm talking about sort of managing that. Who and how have you really been able to build that self-confidence as a med student? Yeah, for me, I mean, I've been lucky or not lucky, but I've had experiences even before I began medical school with mental illness. And that way I already had support systems and a support team set up that could help me work through these thoughts and feelings. But the biggest thing that I've learned is that if I'm not enough for myself on the inside, I can't expect anyone else to be enough for me either. And so if I don't think that I'm capable or I don't think that I should be there, who's to say that anyone else is going to think that? And so I think looking for external validation in medical school, it's just not a thing. No one's going to stand there and pat you on the back and buoy you up. And so I had to learn that I was the one who had to do that, not someone else around me. No one else is going to help keep my ship afloat. I have to do that myself. And so even though there are tons of people who can support me, if I'm not willing to put in the effort to love myself, prioritize myself, then I will essentially sink and drown in this kind of profession. So I think I am lucky and I'm grateful that I know that now because I do see a lot of medical students and a lot of my peers who don't know or aren't as self-aware yet. I think the things I've been through have helped me to learn that about myself and learn what I need. So I know that I need time away from medicine. I know that I need time to focus on my well-being. I know that I need time to recharge. So knowing those things is really great. And when I have experiences where I just feel like, oh my goodness, I know nothing. I'm terrible. I'm not useful. I know how to chat about them now and how to bring them up and make them part of a normal conversation rather than suppressing them and thinking that I'm the only one who feels that way. So I think normalizing it and making it okay to talk about you know what, I'm not feeling great and that's not cool with me and I'm worth more than that and so I need to work through that. Mm. Um, And sort of switching gears a little bit from sort of the self-internal confidence thing to maybe the external, how have you, or have you felt and how have you dealt with maybe the pressures of maybe the competition of medical school and maybe even the process of you getting into medical school? Yeah, I think that this is such a massive one. I always refer to the type A personality and I know that not every prospective medical student is type A, but you're definitely amidst some of the brightest people that you'll ever meet. And it can be really intimidating. I remember when I wanted to get into medical school and I always had, but when I was in first year of uni, one experience really stood out to me. I went to this seminar about how to get into med. I think it was run by Monash and there were hundreds of biomed students who turned up. And they said, put your hand up if you want to get into med. And obviously everyone put up their hand. And I looked around the room and they said, well, there's only a hundred spots for all of you. And I just felt like, how can I show, like, how can I compared with all of these people be enough? How am I going to be good enough to do that? And I think everyone feels that. And I remember getting in my car afterwards and just crying and being like, I'm never going to make it. I can't do this unless I'm perfect. And I just felt so far from that. And I felt like I was looking around a room where everyone else in that room was. And so getting into med for me was that reassurance of I can do it. And 
I am enough. But I think also that there's this misnomer in medicine that you have to be perfect, that there's no room for error in the profession. And I think that that starts outside of medicine. It starts when you're trying to get in. It starts when you're sitting the game sad. It starts when you're doing interviews and you think that you have to show up and be faultless. And that's just not true. Humans are far too complex for us to be fit in this box of perfection. And the medical field is not filled with perfection. It's filled with clinical reasoning and empathy. And I wish that I'd been kinder to myself on that lesson. Perfection is not required to get into medical school. And it's not required when you're in medical school. And as soon as I learned how to overcome perfectionism and be okay with making mistakes and being uncomfortable, that helped me tremendously. So if I could tell myself back then one thing, I'd say get over your perfection now because it will only get harder the more you try to convince yourself that life can be perfect and that you can be perfect because it's just not true. Yeah. At least in the sort of recent years, imposter syndrome is very much synonymous to like female-only events and a female-oriented syndrome. But I wonder just how much of that is still true in the medical profession or at least as a medical student and if imposter syndrome is perceived as a female-only thing? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. I, I thought about what kinds of things make me insecure in this field or in this profession. I think that sometimes I am insecure about being a woman and trying to make it in the professional world just in general. And when people ask me what I want to do, I think that there are certain parts of medicine that are still sexist or gender biased. And so identifying as a woman, it can feel scary to own up to, oh, I think I'm interested in something like orthopedics, which can be a bit of a shame that people still feel that way because you would hope that by now that's not the case. In terms of imposter syndrome being something that's felt only by women, I think that it's felt by everyone, that women just naturally are better at expressing their emotions or feel like there's more of a forum to do that. And it would be great to see the conversation coming more to light with men because I do think it's a big issue and I think that there are a lot of illnesses that can occur in doctors regardless of their gender and how they are they identify purely because it's not talked about enough how people are feeling and that they're not feeling good enough so yes I do think that women there are some unique issues but I also think that it's across the board something that comes up a lot yeah um and as you know as we end every episode because we clearly brought this together um there is we end with an ethical dilemma <laughs> so that everyone can sort of ponder on, on what they might do in that sort of situation and you having been through that um, so the situation is a colleague is underperforming but you know they struggle with their confidence. How would you have a discussion with them which is productive without adding to their discouragement? Yes, so when I wrote this one, I didn't know I would be answering this one. So it's still a bit of a surprise for me because I would love to know what to do in this situation. Um, But when I thought about it, I thought firstly, when you lead by example, when the colleague has seen what you do, who you are, and that I would like to think that if I went up to someone like this that they would know me well enough to know you know what she's not perfect she learns through her mistakes and that she's okay and her makes room for mistakes and that her confidence and her worth isn't defined by those mistakes in fact it's defined by being able to overcome them being able to learn through them so I think that would be the first thing is you know what there is room for error and that doesn't change 
how worthy you are to be here or how good you are or anything like that, your ability to do this profession at all. And I think that that's a really defining moment is to realise mistakes I make and my inadequacies do not determine how worthy I am to be here. And so you don't need to let that be part of your confidence battle. The other thing is something that we've been talking a lot about in our workplace, which is called Radical Candor. And Eliza's going to be excited that I talk about this because it's a great book. So check it out. But I think, so the basic idea of it is being able to have those difficult conversations with people that you care about so that it can be beneficial for everyone. And so that it can be beneficial for the workplace, but also for them and for their personal growth growth and development. So I think if the colleague you've formed a personal relationship with enough that they're able to trust you and understand where you're coming from, then you know which angle to come from and give them feedback regardless of how insecure they might be feeling. And so I think helping them understand that actually you having the chat with them will help them to further boost their confidence and deal with some of their insecurities. So whilst it would depend exactly what you say would depend on what's going on. First, you need that relationship with them enough to be like, you know what, I need to chat to you because things aren't going great. And I just want to know what's going on. And let's talk about how we can deal with this. So yes, radical candor is the new buzzword in my life. And I'm here for it. Well, thanks so much for being on our Helen Radical Candor bandwagon. Jeez, I'm so grateful for just how much of an open book Sarah is and always willing to share her past, present and all. Hope you guys got some valuable insight out of that episode and I hope you look forward to a brand new one next week.